This is Kathy Mears, and I'm here with the NCA Virtual Podcast, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Our guest is Doreen Engel, who is a wonderful inclusionary specialist. She works with the Greeley Center out of Loyola University, Chicago, and does a lot of work with Catholic organizations and schools around the country in the area of inclusion. We are very pleased that you joined us today, Doreen. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Kathy. It is a dreary day here in Indianapolis, and I believe you're joining us from Rhode Island? Correct. And it's a little cool, but beautiful out. Good. I'm glad you're enjoying the sunshine. I'm sure that God is going to provide us with sunshine very soon. It's been a lot of gray days in a row here, so we'll be eager for that. So Doreen, um, I want to hear your story about how you became involved in inclusionary Catholic education and why it's so important to you. Wow. Okay. Um, That was a very long time ago. I'm (laughs) 61. And I really became interested in this work as a child. I have I have to say as a child, I did. And then in high school, of course, I chose what I would study. And I began with music therapy, which is a major that many might not be familiar with. As part of that, I had to live for six months in an institution for developmentally disabled adults and children in Wasaic, New York. And I'm happy to tell you that that institution has closed. And so I may be one of very few people without cognitive disabilities who has actually done that for a very, you know, extensive period of time. And I really knew what it was like and I hated it. I'm sure you did. I'm (laughs) sure you did. So right from there, I saw this is wrong. And then the next 40 years have been spent. Well, how could we do better? Yeah, I think that you were part of the sisters who, um, and people young won't remember this at all, but it used to be children with developmental disabilities, Down syndrome in particular, didn't go home from the hospital with their mothers. And um, that, when I say that out loud to sometimes audiences full of younger people, they cannot even imagine. But that is the truth, and I think that's what you're describing, a home maybe where those children spent their growing up years in their lives. Well, it was actually, it was a, a thousand people living in an institution of every age, from infancy to the elderly. They didn't leave. They never left. Yeah. Yep, that was their life. No, it, and their everybody life. at the time thought that was a good, good solution um, for whatever yes. reason. Yes, they did. And, you know, I'm not, um, I'm, uh, first of all, I'm not young. I remember this. So anyone who's listening, this is not to... Nothing is to make people feel bad. You do what you know, right? We all we only absolutely only do what we think is the best. But I did live through that and just felt in my heart that we could do better. And now we are. We are doing now better. Now we are We're doing much better, and we can do better still. Absolutely. There's room for us to improve every day. But it is important to note that the early research on children with Down syndrome and other developmental disabilities came out of these homes. And in many cases, it was the Catholic Church, the Good Sisters, who were caring for um, these people with disabilities. And 
I have always felt like Catholic schools were the pioneers of education of children with special needs in a very weird way, but I think we were the pioneers. You know, that is so true. Uh, many of the standalone schools for children with disabilities, when many people thought that children, at least children with cognitive disabilities, but many other disabilities could not go to school or should not go to school long before 94, 142, which was the first special education law, uh, many standalone schools were uh, either run by sisters, you're absolutely correct, many orders were interested in this work, and also many parents uh, yes. started schools because they wanted their child to have an education. Right, and that, and that was very important to them. It, there's no doubt about it. Yes, yeah, so you mentioned the public law in 1974 that said public schools needed to provide all children with an education, and that changed things, um, and it really took us in a new direction. But again, that, um, I was in high school when that happened, so although it seems like a long time ago, not totally out of the realm of possibility that people like my age um, remember it. No, anything that's in with my lifetime doesn't seem like a long time ago because I was there. You and me both, you and me both. Yes. So you were in music therapy, and one of my very good friends in high school also majored in music therapy at that time. So how did that lead you then to education? Well, I went, I actually lived in a group home in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. And it was, again, it was my full-time residence, and there were three adults there with developmental disabilities. And I saw that this was better. I saw this was better than, than where I, you know, living in an institution. But I also saw that if children could have an excellent education from day one in every way, that their lives would be better as adults. So I decided to go to Catholic University and get my master's degree in special ed. And from then, I have worked almost exclusively for Catholic schools. I've had just a couple of years uh, when my children were very small, uh, working part-time for the public school. But otherwise, I've worked always worked in Catholic education. And I think people are very surprised by that because they don't realize that there have been opportunities to provide services to children with um, disabilities for a long time in Catholic ed. Now I'm 61, so I've, I spent almost 40 years now. It is true. Um, there's a high school in Indianapolis, the Cena Memorial, that started their program for students with special needs in 1956. So um, since 1956, the Cena Memorial has been um, educating children with special needs. Um, and the program has looked different throughout the years as times have changed. So, um, but Catholic education has been part of the special education scene for a really, really, really long time. That's very true. And I, I think we really need to get that word out uh, across the country. I'm delighted to be on a podcast, but we also need to let our colleagues in um, the public school setting know that. Because I know in the past, I frequently, parents were quietly and privately, it was suggested to them that their child might enjoy a Catholic school education better uh, and that it would be a good fit for them once our colleagues knew that it was available. 
Absolutely. It's always all, always about that working relationship between the LEA, the public schools, and the Catholic schools that lead to great things for students. When we work together, it always works out better for the students. So how have you seen services in Catholic schools change over the last several years? Well, uh, when I began teaching, my first year teaching as a resource teacher, it was a, it was a pull-out program. I had children from kindergarten to age eight, uh, and it was exclusively pull-out. They got all their services in the resource room. Uh, later, I was the principal of a standalone school for children with cognitive disabilities. This was in the mid to late 80s. So in the beginning, we didn't know how to, we didn't know how to work with children except to work with them individually or to pull them out in groups by themselves. But as the years went on and the research became clearer, uh, new methods were developed, it, we started to move to push in, meaning that sure, okay, there are folks that have special expertise. I'm supposed to have some special expertise and speech therapists do, and that's great. We want those people on the team. But what if we push them into the classroom? What if our students were together just with everybody? Um, and research on that began to come out. Of course, we always wanna be research-based. It's great to have new ideas. It's great to try something, especially if there is no research, which is sometimes the case. But we do wanna be research-informed. And as the years went by, we saw that uh, children with disabilities that had access to that type of an education, their outcomes were better. And this was really across the board. This was in every area of disability. And then, of course, we began to wonder, well, what about the other students? Naturally, we care about everyone's education. And the research began to show us that they, too, actually were having better outcomes. So at this point, it started to become very clear that um, ideally, as much as we can, children should be educated together. The overall uh, framework for this is Universal Design for Learning, which came out in a big way. It was, it's been around for maybe 25, 30 years, but it really started to become known about 20 years ago. That's when I became familiar with it and many people started using it. And the research has supported that to this day. So I'm a big advocate for inclusion, that word specifically. I want all children with disabilities to get an education, but ideally I want them to be educated with their peers. So Doreen, because of your work in special education and in inclusive Catholic education in particular, you've written a book, it's called Be Open a guide to prayerful reflection on inclusion in Catholic schools. Can you tell us about your book? I've read oh, it, by it the way. Be, it would be a real <laughs> pleasure, Kathy. I was so grateful to NCA for publishing this. And in my work, I don't think it will surprise anyone that it's common for me to run into teachers that feel overwhelmed by this topic and by this work. And they're eager to do uh, anything. I mean, I think our teachers are absolutely the salt of the earth. That's not the issue. No, they're great. The issue is they wonder, how is this really realistic? Will I, how can I actually get this done? 
And of course, there's lots of great material available uh, on how to do it. But I thought that there was not a lot of information on the why, on, the, on just what does this mean for us as Catholics, as followers of Christ. So I thought, first, I wanted to share 10 different situations that actually happened to me when in one way or another, I felt completely unequal to what I was being asked to do. And it is my habit in those situations to find a gospel passage to reflect on that seems to speak to me in the moment about the direction that I should go. And in most cases, really, it, it was God and the child and sometimes the parents and sometimes my colleagues that really showed me what I should do. And I made many, many mistakes. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm supposed to know so much, oh my. <laughs> if I wrote down, well, you know, I didn't always know this and here's a mistake I made and there's a mistake I made. And yet as a team, we found our way through. I thought maybe if folks read that and I shared the particular gospel reflection that had inspired me, that they would say, well, you know, I might be able to do this. And then finally I thought, if I organize this into 10 months, then a faculty could, they could read this gospel passage, they could read a short little story that happened to me, they could have a prayer service as a faculty, and then they could come together and just talk about it. No judgments. Just say, wow, that, you know, I, I don't see it that way. Or or laugh at, <laughs> laugh at some of the things that I did, uh, whatever, whatever. But the bottom line is I have many stories of beautiful, beautiful children who not only um, brought me closer to God, brought their classmates closer to God, and showed such a deep desire to learn and to be of service and to be part of the community that once that we saw that, it was just impossible not to put our back into it and say, We're gonna, we can do this, we can make this happen. So I hope that some faculties have found this helpful, non-judgmental, and they can just sit down and talk about what this might mean at their school. So Doreen, you said you made mistakes, and if you can share one or two of those, that would be great, um, because we all have in all of our lives in every aspect. Um, I know that I've made mistakes teaching. Um, definitely would like some of my students and classes back because I think I would be better today. So can you share an example of a mistake you made that was a teaching moment that made you better the next day? Oh, absolutely. We had a young student who um, I was, my children were very young and I was working very part-time and, and not as a teacher, actually, at a Catholic school. I was a very part-time um, assistant principal. And we had a student who uh, was ultimately um, found to have dyslexia at the age of seven. 
So we did offer his parents the opportunity to be at our school, but his parents felt that he would get a better education in the public school, which of course was their right to, to make that choice. But they asked me to tell him <laughs> because they didn't think they could tell him without crying. So I have this sweet little face in front of me and I thought, how am I gonna say this? So I, the way I phrased it was I said, um, well, let's call him Oliver. Let's just say Oliver. Uh, that's not his real name. But um, I said, you know, Oliver, the problem is that we don't know the things that we need to know in order to teach you to read. And he looked up at me and he said to me, well, then why don't you learn? <laughs> Oliver he, was he, very wise. <laughs> he said it with a little attitude, too. Like, this is not acceptable, is, was kind of in his voice. And I thought, you know, he's right. The child is right. So I went back to our team and we thought and thought and thought. We thought, you know, let, let, let's try to ramp up what we can offer the family. And so we did. And um, it wasn't perfect. But uh, I mean, by today's standards, you know, this was 20 years ago. But that young man went on to get straight A's at the local Catholic high school and was in several honors courses and went on to become an engineer. And not only, you know, had tremendous um, academic success, but I would frequently see him and his father at mass together. And um, he was just such an inspirational person. And we almost lost him as a student. But thank goodness he spoke up. <laughs> Good for Oliver. I like that. That's a great story. Um, it, and it is true. I mean, I was going to get my master's degree and had a student I didn't know how to teach to read, and that was unacceptable to me. I should be able to teach everybody how to read. So that's why I went back for a degree in special education, learning disabilities, and then eventually um, other categories of disabilities so that I could work with the students because it made me mad whenever I had a student I couldn't teach. So... Um, we're all motivated by something, um, but the students are, are our best motivation, probably. So if somebody was going to buy your book or purchase it, and they opened it up, and they would um, see that you've done things that are, are very, very much in keeping with Catholic tradition and our Catholic identity as, as schools, what, how would you tell them to approach this book? Should they read it page one all the way through the end? Can they read it here, there, everywhere, skip around? How would you approach the reading of your book? Because I will tell you at the end how I've read your book. Oh, okay. Well, I did, I did try to match it up. So I tried to have the first chapter be things that you might be thinking about when school starts and the last chapter things you might be thinking about when school ends. Right, if it very much follows a, a, a school year. Yes, I tried that. But you know, for example, one of the chapters is about teaching when you can barely teach because your own heart is so broken. And those of us who are not young, of course we've been there. Of course we have. And our, our colleagues have been there too. You know, I watch colleagues um, teach through devastating uh, breast cancer diagnosis and just so many things I could list. I was teaching at a high school in Washington, D.C. that has a vigorous uh, uh, GROTC program, St. John's College High School, 
So we had many parents that worked at the Pentagon, and I was teaching there on 9-11. It was just, I think of those days now, when I think of our teachers at home, um, learning how to teach online. You know, we've, we've all, unless we're new to teaching and young, we've all had those moments, and sometimes moments go on for a long time. Um, I had to teach uh, right after my son had emergency brain surgery. And most of my students were ill as well. And so what happened? Mothers of mine, uh, mothers who were friends of mine from our parish, they all signed up to take a day with my son so that I could go in and teach. So. I think you could approach the book in many different ways. I tried to show the realities of teaching in general. It's not all beer and Skittles, <laughs> if you're familiar with that expression. You are right uh, about that. Uh, it isn't at all. It's very hard. But it's so worthwhile. And those of us who have a vocation, God is calling us to this. That's very serious and profound. God is calling us to this. It's not just a job that we do. And so when we find our way through, when we respond to these requests, we are actually responding to God. We definitely are. And, and the way I read your book was, um, I looked for the gospel um, focus that you have in the book and picked one each day. I read it, uh, I guess 10 days is probably why I read it in because I read one one chapter one story a day and um, you almost you don't know it but your book was almost a devotional and um, I so appreciate that um, it like I said and so many of your experiences um, are so true to mine I think that um, although I was doing it in Indiana and you were doing it on the east coast I don't think we realized that there were people doing this work across the country in the 80s well even 70s and 80s and 90s um, we all thought we were alone which is too too bad but and that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast so NCA can help people to know oh no there's a network of you all working out there and we're trying to find places and spaces for you to come together so that you can learn from each other and know that you're not alone that we're we're doing this together and it's um very very special work that our teachers do every day and those who are working directly with um, exceptional learners maybe making sure that IEP is followed or whatever that it's um, that it's really important work that you're doing and there are lots of us doing it in Catholic education you're not alone yes I think that's critical Kathy I I, I do um, there's no sense reinventing the wheel there is outstanding work being yes. done all across the country and it can save teachers time. And also there's that emotional support when you find someone who's doing similar work and they encourage you and can give you that tip quickly and, and save you an hour. Sure, you could find the information in an hour, but if you can follow them on Twitter or send them a little email and say, hey, so the more we can network and the more we can keep in touch with each other, the better it is. It, it, it truly is. And one of the ways that we're doing that um, very soon, we've had to cancel our big um, national convention and expo, but we are going to have an online learning event. And on Friday, April 17th, Doreen is leading the charge, and we will be offering sessions for teachers and school leaders about teaching exceptional learners in our schools. So Doreen, do you want to talk a little bit about what kinds of things we'll be learning that day? 
Sure. So there's twin goals. I know people want practical information, as we just discussed, but I think people also want to be inspired. And they're probably not aware of some of the amazing things that are happening nationally. So it'll be a combination of both. You'll get some uh, some excellent information about differentiation, for example, and um, also some ideas about how you can give access to children who are gifted, uh, ideas for how you can work with um, children who need support in reading, naturally ideas for including children with intellectual disabilities, administrative tips. I, I won't be able to list everything that you could learn, but I hope what really will happen is that people will say, oh my gosh, I had, I had no idea. I have to tell you, I was so thrilled to be asked to be a part of putting this together because I learned so much myself. I had no idea that Children of Peace um, School in um, Chicago, Illinois, has been including children who are deaf or um, hard of hearing for decades, for decades. Laura Ridloff is a graduate. I didn't know that. <laughs> and um, I didn't know that Gwynedd Mercy University is one of the first Catholic universities in America to be starting a college transition program for young adults with intellectual disabilities, a full residential program so they can have a college experience too. And so even though I try to stay really connected, it, it seems like we've hit a time now there's so much great work happening that keeping up with what it is, is, is tricky. So the ELC is going to help you with that. It is, and we will be recording sessions, and they'll all be part of our NCA backpack. So you can go to nca.org right now and find backpack under the Learn tab. There are lots of resources there, and those resources are just going to grow. They're going to multiply like the, the fishes and the bread because we're going to be adding more and more there, and there will be a section just for exceptional learners. Although we want inclusionary practices, sometimes just for organizational purposes, um, you put them in one place or another. Those resources will be there, and um, we're hoping a lot of people go to the website and see them. And just so everyone knows, this isn't a one-shot deal. NCA is committed to supporting schools and becoming more inclusionary. And so wherever a school is on that journey, we're going to be here to help you to move you forward on your work. So everyone needs to keep that in mind. We're here to walk with you and to help everyone get better every day. Doreen has also agreed to help us out with some online learning tips and just more information. And she's doing a series of short digital media productions. She's really in this production mode right now. She's been tremendous. Doreen, why don't you tell us about what you're recording and what you're going to be able to teach people through these recordings? Well, I have been so touched uh, on, again, I love Twitter, um, and I have been so touched by the Catholic school teachers who are uh, teaching online right now, some for the first time, and some of them are taking care of their own kids, and they're teaching, and they're worrying about their parents, and just God bless them, the, the beauty of how cheerfully they are doing that, and how quickly they're doing that has really touched me. Um, but uh, it's possible that there could be some little, just little tricks. I don't like to ask classroom teachers to do a whole lot of extra things. I like it to be elegant. I like to come up with something that works for all children. 
but makes access for children with disabilities a little easier because then the classroom teacher usually, hey, I'm, I'm down with that. Uh, and an example would be, some folks may not know that Ariel is a font that is much easier for many children with dyslexia to read. So, okay, you didn't know that. You're producing some written materials at home. You probably don't care if it's in Ariel, so you just put it in Ariel. Now that was easy, wasn't it? So I'm trying to put together ideas like that that many classroom teachers may not know. And then I'm also trying to envision how inclusion teachers might work remotely with their students. And I, I've been watching some exciting work this week. We have a lot of clever folks out there. I'm hoping that when these go up that I'll start hearing from people. Hey, here's something that we tried this week and it works really well. And here's something else that we, we tried. So I've made some um, just basic, where do I start for classroom elementary teachers, another one for classroom high school teachers, another one for um, grade school inclusion resource teachers, then another one for high school level resource and inclusion teachers. And then finally, trying to help our schools understand what might, boy, I wanna underline that word, might be happening with the LEAs in terms of providing support to students with disabilities um, virtually so that they can begin to think how they might work with their own LEA locally. And that's really changing day it to is. day. Yeah, it really is right now because of the coronavirus. People are on Capitol Hill making new laws as we speak. Just so everyone out there knows, um, we at NCA are part of those meetings when we can be between the USCCB and NCA. We have people um, in those meeting rooms advocating for Catholic schools every time those committees meet. So um, we don't always win, but we're always there trying and fighting for people. So just keep that in mind. Doreen, thank you for everything that you've done for Catholic education. And we really, really, really thank you for taking time out of your day today to, to speak with us. Doreen's right. Um, her inclusionary activities are just good teaching. They're just great instructional methods, little things anybody can do for lots of different children with lots of different learning needs, and they're fantastic. So we'll hope you that you will visit those at nca.org. And again, all of this stuff will be connected to you via backpack. Doreen, do you have any final words you'd want people to say about Catholic schools or teachers who are saying, I don't really know if we can do this? What would be your words of encouragement to them? Well, I taught my own students that had disabilities online as recently as two years ago. I know that it can be done. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to make these little uh, podcasts because I learned a lot from that. And many of my students had very, very significant. Um, I had students that were foster children in addition to having a disability. I had children who were cancer survivors. I mean, they, 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 this was not, <laughs> they were not in ideal situations and they did great is what I want you to know. So yeah, it's about the relationship first guys. That's, and that's what we're best at. So relationship between student and teacher mir mirrors the relationship children can have with others and with God and with Jesus. So we 
want you to remember that what you're doing is modeling how to be in a relationship with your students. It's great. So thank you so much. Doreen, the name of your book is Be Open, A Guide to Prayerful Reflection on Inclusion in Catholic Schools. And we are so grateful for you. And we'd like to give a shout out to Megan, who's running our podcast for us. Thank you, Megan, for your work. And um, during these stressful times, if nothing else, you can read Doreen's book just for inspiration. Um, it's really, it's really, really great, and you will enjoy it. So thank you, Doreen. Thank you, Megan. And I hope that you all have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you both. Thank you.